Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16, if you would, please. Acts chapter number 16. Acts 16. Thank you for praying for the preaching this morning. We prayed for the preaching. Brother Seth, Brother Zach, Brother Greg, Brother Bruce, Brother Rick. We prayed for the preaching all around. Brother Kyle, everywhere there was preaching going on. I believe God works in, in conjunction with us praying for the preaching. There's great liberty here to preach the word this morning and look forward to preaching here tonight. Acts chapter 16. It's where we are in our series through the book of Acts. We're seeing the power of the gospel at work firsthand in that early church. And so tonight we come to Acts chapter 16. I believe it's fitting what you must do to be saved. As this man, the Philippian jailer, as we know him, asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, that's life's most important question. And they gave life's most important answer. So let's look at that here tonight. Acts 16, we'll begin reading in verse number 16. And it says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with the spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said, To the Spirit I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace and to the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes. That's in reference, by the way, of Paul and Silas's, the clothes on their back, and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. How about this verse, verse 25? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night. Mind you, this is midnight after midnight now. And washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told, uh, told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, 
They have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. How about that? Isn't that great? And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. That was the first lady that was saved there in in Philippi. They came into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, we'll get right into the message here tonight. Life's most important question and answer. Life's most important question and answer. Lydia was saved the last time that we read, or the verses we read recorded how that this lady named Lydia, as well as others, came to faith in Christ. And then the very next verses that we read here in verses 16 through 24 tell us how that how that Satan counter-attacked. You know, I believe that as we enter in on Satan's turf, that we're going to have a kickback from the enemy. And that's certainly what took place here. A young lady that was possessed with a spirit of divination, that means that she uh, had the ability, she was obviously demon-possessed as Paul would cast out that demon, but she had the ability to tell the future empowered as they believe by the, by the God Apollo, if you do a little bit of study back in what was going on here, the spirit of divination, it was literally the spirit of Python, Python being the, the uh, snake or dragon god or goddess, the priestess there that would serve as a fortune teller. So here's this, this young lady that was basically a servant. And these individuals were taking advantage of her and, and making money off of her. And so she would tell people what their future held for money. A fortune teller predicting the future. What's interesting in verse number 17, it says that she followed Paul and Silas as they were going to the prayer meeting. And she called after them and said that these are the servants of the Most High God. And they show unto us the way of salvation. You think, well, well, that's nice, just free advertising there. But Paul was not impressed. Did you catch that? Paul was not pleased. In fact, the Bible says in verse number 18 that his spirit was grieved. He was disturbed. He was annoyed, not just because she was following him and cried, and the idea is that she cried out loudly, but that, that he was concerned because here she was, obviously, as, as he's going to cast out the demon in the name of Jesus, he's concerned, not because she was saying the wrong message, but because it was coming from the wrong source. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, Paul did not want either the gospel or the name of God to be promoted by one of Satan's servants. Satan may speak truth one minute and the next minute tell you a lie. Another individual said it this way, this way, although the woman was saying what she was saying could be construed as ironically true, the fact that she represents many gods makes her testimony less welcome and ultimately misleading. Here's the danger. Here she is, obviously demon-possessed. We don't know that as we just come into the first verses of that, but we see later on, of course, that she was. But now this is sending a, a mixed message because here she is promoting and saying that they're the servants of the Most High God and they show us the way of salvation. 
But at the same time, it's obvious that she had not forsaken the way of her divination and her idolatry and the gods and goddesses that were involved. And so, listen, our Savior does not need to be praised and just added to a list of other religions. See, there's great danger in that, that, that somebody might accept Jesus and just add him to a list of other deities when there's only one. And so Paul was grieved because although that was the right message, they were the servants of the Most High God. Well, they were the servants of the only God. But she was not really promoting that, but she was a, a nuisance or a, a annoyance here and, and sending a mixed signal as though Jesus was classified along with other deities, Apollo and Zeus and on and on the list could go. When Paul was persuaded by the word of God and by the testimony of the risen Savior that there was only one God. And so that's why he took offense to this and cast out the demon that was possessing this young lady and she went free. Praise God. Jesus can set people free. See, well, those who were making money off this young lady were not happy because now their revenues was be, revenue was being cut back and money was more important than salvation to them. Money was more important, listen, to this woman's, this woman's dignity. Money was more important than this woman's well-being. I want to thank God for a Savior who cares about people, not just their money. You know, the beer companies don't really care about people's well-being. They might feel threatened by the, by the progress of the gospel. Hey, I pray somebody was saved today out of alcoholism and, and saved today out of drugs and saved today out of smoking and saved today. I mean, just on and on we could go. But you know, the companies that promote those things might get a little bit alarmed. Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that how it ought to be? They feel a little bit threatened by that. And so they, they don't really care about morality as much as they care about money. The same would be true of abortionists. The same would be true of politicians. Some, many, politicians concern more about money than morality. And sadly, the same could be true about some preachers. More concerned about money than morality. Well, they took action against Paul and Silas and they, they brought them. They literally drugged them before the magistrates of the city, the leaders of the city. And, and they, they brought them before them and saying, these men, they trouble. They throw our city in, into confusion. They greatly agitate. They greatly trouble our city. And a mob formed against Paul and Silas, as we read in verse number 22. And the whole city joined in. And, and the magistrates, uh, they stripped their clothes from them, Paul and Silas, and, in order that they might be beat with rods, a caning. And they were bloodied. And as we saw later on, as the, as the, um, the jailer would clean their wounds, they were not cared for upon their entrance into prison. I'm telling you. Prison then is not like prison now. I'm not saying that like I know it firsthand. I'm just simply saying from what I've heard. This was not a pleasant stay for Paul and Silas. The Bible says that they were locked up in the inner prison and they were put in the stocks. That would be a block of wood and their feet would have been chained or they would have been tied in some ways to that stock so as they, were not, they would not be able to escape. Beaten and left there and in a dingy, dark prison cell in Philippi. I'm telling you, folks, this gospel will cost you something. Did a little bit of reading. Miss Morgan Shopshire let me borrow a book on uh, the martyrs. 
and uh, Morgan sang in the Patch Club. And I've enjoyed reading just bits and pieces of this. But I'm telling you, it's humbling. I read about John Huss, who in the 1400s was burned at the stake for his stand for Christ. He said, For the gospel I am here with a cheerful mind and courage, ready, ready to suffer death. And he said this, What I have made known with my lips, I now seal with my blood. How about in the 1500s, William Tyndale, who was persuaded that the English-speaking people needed to have a Bible in their language that they could read. The religious leaders of, their, of his day said, no, that, that that's the vernacular of the people and, it's, and it's not wor- that language is not worthy of the Scriptures. They, they, it needs to remain in Latin and Hebrew and Greek. But William Tyndale was persuaded that the plowman, the farmer, needed to be as educated and even more so than the religious leaders of his day. And secretly he went about translating the New Testament and and, and uh, fled to Germany and then began shipping Bibles back. I'm telling you, they were smuggling Bibles in. Well, the, the uh, leader there of London and, and that area found out how that they were smuggling Bibles in and he, he paid money, secretly paid money to one of the merchants to buy up as many of the Bibles as he could and burn those Bibles. Well, the merchant from whom he bought those Bibles took the money that he received not knowing that they were going to be burned, and took that money back to William Tyndale. And William Tyndale took that money and produced three times more Bibles. (laughs) Little did the leader of London know that he was supplying Bibles. Everybody around. Well, those who uh, came into access and had a copy of the New Testament, many of them were persecuted and thrown in prison, and some of them died for having a Bible like you and I have here tonight. William Tyndale himself was, was taken out on October the 6th in, in 1536 and was strangled to death and then his body burned for his love for the Bible. But before he died, he prayed this, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And in three years, the King of England said, I believe there ought to be that great Bible produced by Tyndale and Coverdale. I believe it ought to be in every church. A few years later, a little over 70 years later, we got the King James Bible. God opened the King of England's eyes. But it's not just way back then that people have suffered. I read about a lady in in Russia in the 1960s who came to Christ by a radio program and began to invite others over to her home who were believers. And eventually the the Soviet Union found out and and sent police that surrounded her house. And she was arrested and spent four years in in a Russian prison. And her kids were taken to boarding schools and her husband was left alone at home and and she spent four years there. But in prison, listen, my friend, in prison, she witnessed to other prisoners and and eventually because of her witnessing, they locked her up in an unheated cell there in Russia and, and had no bed and she slept on the concrete floor and many prisoners were not even able to sleep under those conditions. But she said, I was actually able to lay down and go right to sleep because I the father was keeping me warm. I'm telling you, there's people through these ages that have suffered like this. 
read about children in Sudan, South Sudan, that, that uh, ha- their villages had been, had been attacked by Muslim individuals who'd come in and killed Christians. And, and in 1993, a, an American journalist was asking these, these uh, young Sudanese children who were in Sunday school, aren't you afraid and shouldn't it be better for you to convert to Islam? And she, they said this, we will remain Christians because this is the truth. And on and on we could go, my friend, right up until this modern day of men and women who have given their lives and have been persecuted and beaten for the sake of the gospel. You know what that is to me? That's humbling. It's humbling. Paul and Silas beaten and, and placed in prison. And, but I like what it says here at midnight. They prayed and they sang praises to God. They prayed and they sang praises. Spurgeon said this, it's easy to sing when you can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful, skillful singer is the one who can sing when there's not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. Paul and Silas here singing. And evidently, they sang loudly. Look what the Bible said in verse number 25. It says that the prisoners heard them. The prisoners heard them. Hey, I want to thank God they didn't hear them groaning. They didn't hear them complaining. They didn't hear them threatening. They didn't hear them cursing. They heard them praying and they heard them singing. And suddenly the Bible says that there was a great earthquake and the foundations of that prison were, was shaken and, and, and the doors were opened and the fetters fell off from the walls and the prisoners were free to go. I believe evidently Paul said, no, you stay right here. I'm sure the prisoners say, whatever you want, man. Just don't hit that bass note again. (laughs) I can't prove that from the Bible. But I believe there's a certain amount of respect that here these men were. They were praying and they were singing. And then then the prison began to shake. I'm telling you, that that did something to them. Did something to them and they didn't leave. That prisoner guard, that guard that was there and he fell asleep on the job and like some security guards might and, and there he is, he's asleep and he wakes up and he realizes, oh my soul, everybody probably has left and he knew that if they escaped that it would mean his life for their life. And he thought it's not worth it for me to go into that shame and, and to be killed by, by my government and so he was about to take his life, about to fall upon his own sword but Paul said, do thyself no harm, he said loudly. Stop, we're all here. They're not going anywhere. And the Bible says he took a light and he, he sprung into where they were and he fell down at, his, at their feet in desperation at a point. Listen, here's a secular man who was working a secular job, but then when he saw the mighty power of God and maybe he'd been hearing them sing the praises to God and hearing them pray and he knew that they were there because of the witness of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he must have said there must be something different about these men. And he asked this question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's life's greatest question. Maybe you're here tonight because God's shaking you up a little bit. Maybe there's something in your life that, that has got your attention. You know, God has to sometimes work to get some people's attention. Maybe you're here tonight and you're asking life's greatest question. What must I do to be saved? My friend, I'm telling you this, this day. It's this friend day all day long. We're concerned about your soul. And there's only two classes of people. There are those who are saved and there's those that are lost. And you fit in one of those two categories. I want to ask you tonight, do you know that you're saved? 
I'm glad I can tell you from the authority of the Word of God that you can know for sure if you died tonight that you'd go to heaven. You can know that for sure based on the Word of God. Do you know that you're saved? And then if you say yes, I'd ask you very quickly tonight, how do you know that you're saved? How do you know? When were you saved? Tell me, my friend, when were you saved? If you died tonight, I want you to seriously stop and think about that. If you died tonight, do you know 100% for sure that you'd go to heaven? Or maybe you ought to ask the same question that this man asked. What must I do to be saved? I know that I've broken God's commandments. I know I haven't lived a clean life. I know that someday I'll need to stand before God. I'm not ready for that. What must I do to be saved? Listen to the answer tonight. Believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That does not mean believing many facts about Jesus. So that's necessary unto salvation. You must know some things about Jesus. But what that means, my friend, is simply this. You must trust what Jesus did by his death, burial, and resurrection. And trust that alone to save you from your sins. It is not your good works. It is not your baptism. This man was saved and then baptized. This man hadn't done many good works. His good wasn't outweighing his bad. He was at a point of desperation and realized there's nothing I can do to save myself. What must I do to be saved? And Paul made it very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he went to their home and explained that to them more thoroughly. And and they called on Jesus to be their Savior. Look what happens after that. This man that was their captor, this man that was the prison guard, began to wash their wounds. Isn't this amazing? And immediately was baptized. You see, when a person's saved, they ought to follow God in baptism. He was saved. And then that night, I'm telling you, it's about 1 o'clock in the morning maybe. 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm telling you when, you, when you, when you find something good, you're not worried about what time it is. Isn't that the truth? Yep, you find something good, you're not real worried about what time it is. You're not worried what, what time it is right now, are you? Yep, found something good right here. Let's see. He found something good there and they fellowshiped at night and was baptized. And the Bible says that his whole family came to Christ. That doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that this man being saved caused his children automatically to be saved. No, every one of them and his wife had to be saved individually. But I'm telling you, when a daddy or a mom comes to Christ, that gives those kids an opportunity to hear the gospel. And that's how they came to Christ. And then the Bible says that he put food before them. And, and here they are, the, the prison guard eating with the prisoner. The gospel has power to change lives. And then the Bible says that he rejoiced in his salvation in verse number 34. He was rejoicing and giving God thanks and praise. And when you start praising God, you start to lose track of time. And so now maybe they spent the night just praising God for what he had done. Lives are changed. Homes are filled with joy. Because God uses the saved to deliver the gospel to the lost. This afternoon, just after our service, stood out in the foyer and had a few of the individuals, some of the adults. There were eight, eight adult individuals that came to faith in Christ. Yep. One of the young ladies stood there and she had tears in her eyes and just couldn't stop crying. She said, I don't, I don't know... I don't remember exactly how she said it, but basically, like, I don't know why I can't stop crying. I said, hey, that's fine. I'm telling you, I rejoiced all the way home. I told her I drove home at the age of eight, but I said, wait a minute, that's not right. I didn't drive. My mom drove. I said, I drove home or I rode home rejoicing all the way home that God saved my soul. And she just stood out there and just wept and thanked God and, 
and re- was rejoicing in her salvation. Another individual, someone brought, and, and you could tell she got assurance of her salvation. She had already been saved, but she got assurance of her salvation. And, and another individual said, it's just like a weight was lifted off of me. You know what was happening? There was joy filling that heart. Here was somebody that was at a point maybe of desperation. Maybe they came today, and this was like a last chance for them. I'm telling you, we had people here today who maybe had never heard the gospel. Some individuals that, that had come with friends, and but they heard the gospel. And listen, what God can do in that life is where there's no hope he can give them hope, where there's no joy, he can give them joy, where there's no life, he can give them life, where there's no purpose in living, he can give them purpose in living. And that's by God using us as a saved to deliver the gospel to those who are lost. I think about Acts chapter 16. I'm telling you, it just blesses my heart to see how that God saved even those that were looking for religion, looking for truth like Lydia was. You know, there's people that came today, maybe listen, God even has to save Baptists. God has to save Baptists. God saves Lutherans. Get that out here in a minute. God saves Lutherans. Some that maybe have been very devout, very sincere in whatever religion, religious background that they come from. Hey, listen, you can be very religious, but religiously lost. Lydia was very devout, very religious, very, very uh, faithful to her time of prayer. Had, was a, as a Gentile, had come into Judaism, into, into Jewish faith. But listen, she needed to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Just because some, you knock on somebody's door or you work with somebody at your workplace who says, you know, I'm Catholic or I'm Lutheran or I'm Methodist or I'm Baptist or I'm Pentecostal or I'm on and on we could go. Listen, here's the real question. Do they know Christ? I want to thank God that God can save people off out of the dark. Here's this young lady that was, that was demon-possessed, and God delivered her from that. I'm thankful tonight that God can save people out of the occult. I'm thankful tonight that God can save people that are out of the influence there, that demonic world and the world of witchcraft. And listen, that's not anything to play around with, my friend. That's, that's something that's very clear in the Word of God that we ought not to go that direction. But thank God that He can save some out of that lifestyle. Some that you and I might look at and say, you know, God can never save them or they'll never change. Listen, God can work in their life and save them. That's the power of the gospel. Thank God He works in the jail ministry. Here in Acts chapter 16. First jail ministry that I know of. But here's a man who was unchurched. Here's a man who was very secular in his mindset. But here's a man who came to understand he had a great need. You know, you may work with somebody in the secular work world. You never know when life is going to be turned upside down for them. What you ought to do as believers, be ready to give an answer of the hope that lieth within you, as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15. Be ready, be prepared to share the gospel. Tonight I say to you that maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. It doesn't matter what your background is or, or, or what, what you're doing right now in life. I'm telling you, God can save your soul. You can know for sure that if you died tonight that you'd go to heaven if you'll trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I believe based on this text, what we've seen, God can change your life and give you a reason to rejoice. You may start just being overwhelmed and crying, 
and not even know just all that's going on, but I'm telling you, you can, those can be tears of joy. That God has saved me, changed my life. Maybe you're asking tonight, what must I do to be saved? The answer is still the same. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This week, you're going to meet people that are in one of two classes. Saved and knowing it or lost. Lost. Will you be ready to say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together tonight. God uses the saved to bring the message of salvation to the lost. God wants to use you tonight as the saved to bring the message to the lost. May I say to you that tomorrow is another friend day. Tuesday, friend day. All throughout the week, friend day. How many of you could raise your hand tonight and say, I know I'm saved. Thank God I know I'm saved. Praise the Lord. Hands throughout the auditorium. Let me ask you if you would just, as you're standing there, and if you would just uh, bow your head and close your eyes. Thank you. You may put your hands down. I wonder if there's someone that would raise your hand tonight and say, Brother Gaddis, if I die tonight, I don't know that for sure. I'd like to know what I must do to be saved. Is there anybody like that tonight? You'd raise your hand. If I die tonight, I don't know that for sure. Thank you. I see your hand. Who else tonight? If I die tonight, I'm not 100% for sure. We're concerned about you, my friend, and want, want you to know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. Anybody else like that here tonight? While I wait just a moment, who else? Paul made it very clear, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But didn't you notice in the text he took a little extra time to explain what that meant? If you raised your hand, or maybe you didn't, maybe I've overlooked you here tonight. But we want to invite you to come. And allow somebody to take the Bible and explain to you what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you're saved, I pray that Friend Day has been a major help to your life as well. And maybe it's accomplished this or it's stirred you up to be more concerned about those around you that are saved or lost. God wants to use you as a soul winner, my friend. Every one of us are to be soul winners. The gospel has got to go out. I thank God for everybody that came in to hear the gospel there's a great and more a vast majority of people that are still out there that are waiting for somebody to bring the gospel to them. And so let's be soul winners. Father, tonight we come to you in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, for those that need salvation, that you might help them to respond tonight. And those that, that need to know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, God, would you help them? And Lord, tonight we thank you for those that were saved, but we do acknowledge that our city is filled with people that are confused about the matter of salvation. I pray that you'd help us, God, to be ready just as Paul and Silas were ready. Maybe there's some going through a trial right now, a time of difficulty, maybe in direct, direct relationship to the faith. Maybe they've been called into the office or, or confronted about their witnessing at work. I pray you'd give them boldness, dear God, and discretion and wisdom. Lord, you know the witness that needs to go forth in this city. Would you use us, God? I know that from this text, you use the saved to reach the lost. Help us, dear God, to be a shining light to those about us. In Jesus' name, amen.